بسم الله الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين ولادي جعلنا مسلمين It's a great pleasure to be here with all of you today to have this chance to talk about my favorite subject which is Islam The topic or the name of the topic tonight is entitled Islam Exposed and uh, I think that's a pretty good title actually because it implies that something's going to be uh, revealed that possibly hadn't been revealed before or something that needs to be brought out to the attention to everybody. So I think that's a pretty decent title and I'm going to try my best to do exactly that to expose Islam in a way that perhaps we haven't had uh, the chance to hear it before. As our brother mentioned, my name is Yusuf Estes. I am the National Chaplain for the Muslims here in this country, and I do work as a delegate to the United Nations World Peace Summit for Religious Leaders. And uh, that's a big title, by the way. It took me about six weeks to memorize it, but the good news is that I don't have to put it on my business card because we only meet once every ten years. The subject is Islam. So the first thing to do is to take a little bit of a glossary so that we can have a better understanding of the words that I'm going to be using. If I don't do that, it's really not fair. If we go to a doctor's office and he begins to tell us about the Framus and the Dorton, we have no clue where it's coming from. And if we go to the engineer and he starts telling us about the B-Waxers and the so-and-so, we're going, oh, i got no idea what that is. So in order that we will be basically, as we used to say in church, singing out of the same hymnal or the same page, so we're going to have a little bit of understanding of what some of the words mean and that will help us when I say this I'm actually meaning that so that we don't have a misunderstanding so give me a few minutes for that if you will and uh, you'll be surprised even some of the Muslims have come to me after the programs and said I didn't know that so don't feel funny if you learn something new tonight and maybe have put a new wrinkle in the old cranium because it's very possible that I'll learn something as well so the word Islam what is that? It's a word that we don't translate. It's an Arabic word. Okay? So what does it mean really? The word itself. Linguistically, it comes from the Arabic language. Arabic language is an uh, ancient language. It's very old. It's one of the many Semitic languages, such as Hebrew, Aramaic, and the uh, Arabic, and so on. Phoenician languages are related. They go way, way back. And the Arabic language is root-driven. That means that you have a lot of roots and then you work with prefixes and suffixes. In the Arabic language, many of the roots are three syllables. The root will be in three syllables, pronounced ah after each of the syllables. There are no vowels in the Arabic language, so that means there's 28 consonants. Makes it a very big language. Now watch this. The root for Islam is salama. That's the root. From this root, we get the meaning when we come to the word Islam, five things. By the way, I always try to look for something that has like five things or ten things because I have five fingers and ten fingers, so this works out really good. The first thing is it means surrender. And you think of it in terms of putting up your hands and totally giving up, surrender. The second word that comes out of it is submission. Submission means that you're going to agree to terms. And by the way, this is mentioned in the Quran as it's mentioned in the previous revelations and the reference in English would be exactly covenant or testament. 
So this is the meaning behind this kind of submission. It means you're signing an agreement with Almighty God. And that's what you're supposed to do. So that's the second word is to submit. And the third word is obey. The best way to bring it to English, obey. And the one who has obeyed or followed through on what he said he would do. He signed an agreement. Now let's see if he'd perform. In finance, we know what that's all about. You fill out a credit application, and then you sign an agreement, a contract. You're going to pay back so much money, and then we're going to find out real quick if you can do that or not. So this is the third word, obey. The fourth word is sincerity. Now this shows the purity or the sincerity behind which it's done. In other words, would you still do it even if nobody's looking? Would you still do it even if nobody knew? Like some people make a commitment. People ask us to make a commitment of so much a month's charity that we'll give to some good organization. And we all say, sure, sure, we'll do that. You know, no problem. But if you found out that now nobody will ever know that you did it, you won't even get any credit off your income tax, would you still do it? If the answer is no, then you weren't really doing it for the cause. You were doing it for some other reason. So this shows the purity of the intention. That's the fourth word. And then the fifth word is peace. And usually, the problem that I find with a lot of Muslims even, when they begin to try to define what is Islam, they begin backwards. And they say, Islam is peace. And if they say that, I'm going to tell you that probably there's a lot of other things they don't know about Islam. Because we never say that. Islam doesn't mean peace. The word salam means peace. And when we greet each other, as you heard our brother greet us, he said, Salam alaikum. Now, if he would have meant Islam, he would have said, Islam alaikum. So, obviously, there's are two different words. And you shouldn't interchange something if they don't carry the exact same meaning. The understanding of the word Islam it means a relationship between the human being or the creature and the God, the Lord of the worlds describing this relationship. If it is correct, then it is Islam. What is correct? We'll go back and say all the words again. If the men or women surrender completely and totally, and they submit to God's terms on His terms, then they obey what they said they would do, and they do it purely for the sake of the Lord, then and only then do they achieve true peace with their God. And it doesn't mean peace in the Middle East. Although we could sure use that right now. But to be very clear about this, Islam means the description of the behavior between the person and their Lord. You have to understand it that way or else it's hard to go anywhere from there. The second word I want to mention is the word Muslim. For those who are Muslim, those who grow up in Arabic countries especially, cannot understand why you didn't get that right away. He just described Islam. Well, don't you understand what Muslim means? And we're going, no, I don't know what you're talking about. It happened to me. I was down uh, in Florida on a radio show uh, last month. The lady was actually reading a lot of the things that, that the hostess was a lady. And she was reading a lot of things from a book about uh, saying Islam is terrorism and this kind of thing. And it was written by somebody that hates Islam. And uh, she was talking as though she had a lot of knowledge. Anybody listening to her would say, this lady really knows her stuff, but she was just reading paragraphs out of this book. And then she would ask me to comment, which was a lot of fun. 
When it was all over with, though, and we were off the air, she turned to me and she said, Now, I want to ask you one question. I said, Go ahead. She said, Now, are you one of those Muslims or are you one of the Islamics? And then I realized she didn't know anything. She just read out of the book. She had no clue what she was talking about. So what does Muslim mean? Well, in the English language, it's very simple. Whenever we have a verb or an action, because that's what Islam is, that is you're describing action. That's all it is. So in English, when you have an action, walk, somebody performs the action, he's a walk-er, E-R. We use E-R, er, after the, I'm from Texas, sound like er. But I, I think it works in Alabama, and, uh, doesn't it? It's an er, instead of er, whatever. By the way, I don't do real good in England. They can't understand me. But so that you get the idea, walk, er, talk, er, think, er, stink, er, like that. It's the same. It helps if you laugh at these little lame jokes, by the way. <laughs> Anyhow, you see how it works. Okay, now in the Arabic, it doesn't work that way. You do not use a suffix. You use a prefix. And the prefix is mim, or the letter M, and it carries with it the vowel oo, mu. So when somebody azans, that's the call to the prayer, when they call the people to come to the prayer, they say, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. That is the adhan, and the one doing it is the mu'adhan. And when a person travels, he is doing what's called suffer. Not suffer, as in S-U-F-F-E-R, but suffer, which means to travel. Now, if a if you, and by the way, in the English language, our word safari comes from the Arabic word suffer. Although sometimes when I travel, I do suffer, but this is another subject. <laughs> so in the Arabic, he would be a musafir. Musafir. Got it? And one more, just to help you with it. When we pray, our ritualistic prayer, where we stand like this and bow and everything, that's called salah. And one who does it is a musalli. One who salats. Salah, he's a musalli, okay? So now let's take the word Islam. If somebody really surrenders to God, submits to God, and then they obey God on his terms, and they do it purely for the sake of God, and they're in peace with God, then they are a what? Muslim. Mu Islam. So that's what it means. Now, if you said, well, now wait a minute. I've got a problem here because I saw some people that are Muslims and they did some bad things. Okay. Well, just like you could say that someone claims to be a speaker, but when they come up and take the microphone and they stand there, duh, uh, 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 that's not a speaker. Okay? Simple as that. So in this case, we're saying that whenever a person claims to be a Muslim, only Allah knows for sure which ones are. This makes something amazing right away. It means that I want to answer some of the questions that I get all the time. I'm going to answer them right now as I go in to help you. So as you listen to the program, you can justify some of the things that you've heard before and help put things together in perspective, I hope, inshallah, God willing. Many times I get the question, well, what do you guys say about people that are not Islamics? Okay, meaning Muslims. Can anybody go to paradise or only guys in your group? Well, in other religions, in fact, most religions teach that if you're not with us, you go to hell. If they have a concept of hell or Hades or an inferno or something, then those who are not with you, automatically that's where they're going to go. 
Okay? Islam doesn't have that kind of concept whatsoever because Islam is not based on somebody being an Arab. As you can see, my brother and I, neither one of us are Arabs. I don't think you're Arab, are you? I don't think so. Black Arabs. <laughs> Islam, by the way, racism doesn't exist. In Muslim countries it does because that's we're back to human beings doing something wrong. But Islam, absolutely, there's no such thing as anybody having skin color or race or any of the rest of it. It's called asabiya and it's forbidden. But to, to address this question about what do you say about people who are in some other religion? Okay? Our prophet, peace and blessing be upon him, told us that the state of a child at birth is the perfect description of what is Islam. He said every child is born on the fitra of al-Islam. And that's what that means. The state that a child is in when they're born, a newborn baby. Have they made any sins? Of course not. There's a baby laying there. They've done nothing wrong whatsoever. This is the state of Muslim. If anybody reaches this state, they have attained a great and wonderful relationship with their Lord. Meaning what? They don't sin. They don't disobey. They're not evil. Okay? This is the state. He continues in this saying. He says that every child is born in that state, but then it's their parents who will raise them up to become Christians or Jews or fire worshipers or whatever. I want to make that distinction so that you can understand that we don't necessarily need to have somebody come from an Arabic country. He doesn't have to say the word Allah. He doesn't have to say the word Quran. And he doesn't have to say Muhammad, uh, peace be upon him, to be saved. These are not part of the terms or conditions prerequisites to get to paradise what's necessary in Islam to go to paradise is a clean heart because if the heart is clean meaning what I said earlier that he's total submission with God trying his best this is what God looks at and this is how he's judged that's the understanding in Islam so that means then that what yes we know that people who were Jews who were Christians who were Muslims, who were other religions, go back and pick anything you like. As long as they recognize there's God and they're trying to have the right relationship with God, then who's judge over them? Who? Who's their judge? Me? Uh-uh. No. The real judge. And it's up to him on the day of judgment to say who's who. Another question that usually follows that one is to say, well, what about your clerics or your your muftis or your leaders, your preachers and so on, what, what kind of status do they have in the paradise? Again, in other religions, we're told that this so-and-so priest or this uh, minister or this uh, pope, so on, all of them, they have such high-level rank with God that certainly they're going to be in a place you can't even get to. Okay? I even know one particular religion, the more money you donate, the higher you get up in their paradise. And that's amazing, you know. But I don't want to go into that. I'm just saying that so you understand the concept of what's Islam. Our prophet, peace and blessing be upon him, told us that Allah Almighty, God Almighty, is going to start the fire of hell with the scholars of Islam who preached it but didn't follow it. <laughs> May Allah save me and all of us from such a thing. Start the fire of hell. Got one for you. Think about this. You ever have those, what we used to call them farmer's matches? The big matches in the box. You pull it out and you strike them. Well, 
Did you ever strike one of those matches and where the phosphorus is, the sulfur on the tip of it is so hot if it gets on you, it burns really, really bad? That's where the fire starts. Or as we say in Texas, that's where the rubber meets the pavement. When the fire starts, that's really the thing. It's really hot. It's the jump start. Boom. And imagine Allah is going to start the fire of hell with Muslim scholars who preached it but didn't do it. Because hypocrisy is a very hated thing in Islam. And it, a little bit of hypocrisy is as bad as a whole lot of it. It's unacceptable. So understand that we don't have any special status. We don't have priests and we don't really have bishops and we don't have a, a setup like this for clergy. Although we have those who have knowledge and we have titles sometimes for a knowledgeable person. He's called an alim which means from the word ilm means knowledge. This means knowledge. Somebody having knowledge like a scientist would have or a professor or a scholar. Okay? We have something also called imam. Imam actually means somebody out in front, the leader. So when we have a prayer, we have somebody standing in the front of it. He's the imam. But as soon as he says, and the prayer is over, he's not the imam anymore. It's finished. We do have something in Islam that when we have a leader for a Muslim state called a khalifa, now this is a, a real title. And this title, if you go back and look at the original khalifas, khulafa, that's the actual plural in Arabic, it's comical today if you knew and compare them to people today. And never mind what religion they are, but just compare this. Because the first four who came after Muhammad, peace and blessing be upon him, were amazing people. The first one was his dear friend, Abu Bakr, who lived about two and a half years. The one that followed him for, I think, about 13, 15 years, something like this, is Omar, radiallahu anhu. Then the one after him is Uthman, who comes along for about another 10, something like this. And then finally is Ali, who was the last one, and that was the cousin of Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Just give you their names. Don't worry about how long they were in office. Listen to this, though. Abu Bakr had been a wealthy merchant before coming to Islam. At the death of Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, he became in charge, and this man never took more than enough food to eat for him and his wife and two pieces of cloth per year while he was in office. Two pieces of cloth and enough food to eat. So much so that his wife once wanted to make some sweets. And she said to him, I would like to make some sweets. Do you mind to go to the treasury? Now, the Muslim treasury was in the millions of dollars at that time. And, and it was in real things. Not like today where you've got a bank entry on a piece of paper. They had real treasures in there. Okay? They had gold. They had silver. They had uh, weapons. They had uh, uh, food. They had uh, rice and many things. She asked him to go get a handful of sugar so she could make sweets. He said, I can't do that. That's a trust given to me by the Muslims. I can't take that sugar. A few weeks later, he comes home and he finds sugar in his sweets. He wants to know, how did you get these sweets? How did you get the sugar? She said, I found by saving this and skimping on this and skimping on so and so and so that I could make these sweets. He said, oh, it means that we can get by with less. And he cut his own salary. The one who followed him, and there's many examples in his life, but I'll just quickly. The one who followed him is Omar. Omar, peace, uh, may Allah accept from him, radiallahu anhu. When uh, some people commented about Omar, they wanted to know, where's your leader? 
They, we came here on a, as a delegation. We would like to meet your leader. I said, just go up that road right there. They said, well, where's this castle? Where's this palace? So he doesn't have one. Just go up there. He's under the tree. A tree? There he was sitting under a tree. Other people noticed that when he was given a speech, talking, his gown or his dress that he had on had 13 patches and two of them were made out of leather. Is it one? Maybe one made out of leather. I don't want to get anything incorrect. Because this is very important to understand that what we know about these people has been, has been preserved for 1,400 years. Even, like I said, the number of patches on his gown is not fabricated. This is not something somebody came up with. He said 20, he said 19. No, no, it's 13. And I think it's one that was leather. You say, well, how important is this? Let me explain something to you so that you know. This is the next point. In Islam, it is absolutely forbidden to lie. You cannot lie. Now, in a country in the West where we live now, where it's almost like some people make their living by being liars. Lawyers, I'm sorry. Uh, by the way, if we have any lawyers here, they were the ones that laughed first. <laughs> by the way, I'm also living in Washington, D.C. area now, uh, around all those politicians. And they said the only thing worse were statisticians. By the way, I'm proud that I could say that. That's a hard word. St st uh, uh, well, once is enough. In any case, in Islam, lying is so, so bad that if a person is caught lying, then his testimony is rejected from that point forward and he is not considered in full standing as a Muslim in the community for lying. So it's very, very hard to imagine that somebody would lie. That's why when somebody comes to us and said, I saw this and I saw that, Wallahi, I swear by God, I saw that, we, we will believe them because we know that he's putting himself in a horrible position. Because if he's lying, he can go to hell for that. Our prophet was asked, peace be upon him, about lying. He Look what they asked first though. They said, what if a man did such and such a, a bad sin? Pretty bad thing. Could they still be considered as a Muslim? He said, yeah. They could be. He said, what, what if somebody was in a war and fighting against enemies, but they became chicken and they ran away? Could they still be considered as a Muslim? He said, yeah. Then they said, what if he told a lie? Could he still be considered as a Muslim? He said, no. No. Again, I'm going to mention we're in the West. There's not a big premium on telling the truth. They're really not. Say, oh, come on, why did you say such a thing? All right. What month is this? Hello? Yeah, you know where I'm going, right? What happens on the 15th of this month? Huh? Yeah. Okay, that's the income tax deadline, right? So, do I need to go any further? No, we all got our little, uh huh. Yeah, well, it's not really a lie, it's just not the truth. Some of the things that, by the way, Lately, I've heard, in, like I said, I live by Washington. And some of the things that I hear now that are amazing me, the terminology that they have, something that's called disinformation. How many of you heard about the new thing called disinformation? They're using it now in a way to propagate something so that they can, quote-unquote, catch terrorists. Disinformation. You know what it means? It means the opposite of information. What do we call that? A lie. 
But they're calling it disinformation. And it's exactly this. And we know it's not true. A lie. One more time, just so you can get this. As you're growing up as a child in Islam, nobody's lying to you about telling you about our religion, about our social structure, about how we get along with each other. Everything is based on truth, truth, truth. Okay? And for the benefit of those who grew up in this country, I'm going to ask you one question, rhetorical question. How old were you when you found out there was no Santa Claus? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One raising their hand didn't know there wasn't. No, there isn't. I'm sorry. Okay. Just so you know. <laughs> There's not. And how old were you when you found out that there is no such thing as a demented Easter bunny that runs around laying colored eggs? in strange places around the parking lots. Huh? Because this is brought to children as a true fact. And then later, they find out that they've been lied to. When you start with this premise, what will happen is you don't have a strong value for truth. It's just a white lie. Is there anybody in this room and I'm talking about from the West, not Muslims. That anybody in this room never heard the term white lie? Of course, we all heard it. But in Islam, even that is not acceptable. It's not acceptable. If you understand what I'm saying, then you can understand then, if people are being brought up as they should be brought up uh, in the Muslim countries, then they shouldn't lie. They shouldn't lie. It would be strange that they would lie. The more that you focus on this, then go back and consider testimonies that we've heard from people over the last ten or so years talking about what's going on in Islam and consider about what's happening over here and what's being said is happening over here. Maybe it will help all of us to get a better understanding of what's really going on. And that's my real purpose for being here. If you thought I was here to apologize for something, I didn't do anything, so I ain't apologizing. But I would love to share with you the truth about what Islam really is. And after I mentioned what's Islam, I mentioned what is Muslim, there's a very important thing which must be mentioned immediately following that, and that is the Qur'an. Most of the times I have heard the Qur'an described as the holy book of the Muslims. I've almost always heard something like this, or it's the Bible of Islam. This is a mistake. The word in the Arabic language for book is kitab, not Quran. The word Bible means book. Literally, it comes from the Greek word biblios, which means book, which is fine because it's a book. But Quran is not just a book. Quran means a speech of recitation. That's what it means. And the root means reciting or the verb and then one who does it is a kira' one who does that and the emphatic order to tell somebody to do it is ikora. And when, it, when the person accepts that and begins to do it he is doing Qur'an. Okay? So it's only when you hear it is Qur'an. When you read it this is another word. Musaf. 
which means sacred scripture. So earlier when we heard our brother in Islam come up here and recite, he was actually doing what? Quran. Understand? So that you'll know there is a difference. You might say, well, who cares? Well, when we say someone is teaching the Quran, it's not the same as somebody teaching the Bible or teaching the encyclopedia or even teaching something out of the dictionary. This is meaning to actually recite the exact same words that have been recited for 1400 years by all of the Muslims. And it has always been totally agreed upon around the world by the Muslims. This is Quran. And if a person deviates and brings different words or leaves words out or sentences out, it's not considered Quran anymore. Even two verses, which someone did that when they translated to English in Arizona, and he, for whatever reason, did this thing, tried to make it in English, tried to change the meanings, and he left two verses out. No Muslim on earth will accept them, what they're doing, or these people as Muslims, just because the two verses not being there. They're at the end of chapter 9, if you ever... By the way, we have some Qurans over here, and they tell me that if you would like to take one... <laughs> I said one. But uh, these are not for Muslims, by the way, brothers and sisters. <laughs> if you want some, we can fix you up. But these are for our guests. And I know you have some ideas you'd like to give one to somebody, but this tonight here is for our guests here, as well as the tapes and so on that are over there. I didn't mean to stick a commercial in here, but I guess you guys are used to watching TV. You don't mind. Just put a little commercial in here and there. What I wanted to emphasize here was the fact that truth is a very important commodity in Islam, and the Quran is considered haq, which in Arabic language it means absolute perfect truth. When Quran comes, we don't argue with it. No Muslim is going to argue with Quran. He might argue with some of the other things uh, that are understood or way people interpret things. He might argue with that. He might have different opinions. But when it's Quran, it's Quran. That's it. So that you know there are 114 chapters. The Quran is divided into 30 equal parts for recitation purposes. So you can recite 130th every day. At the end of the month, you've recited the entire Quran. It is memorized in the Arabic original language. It is not considered Quran if it's translated to something else. It's considered only interpretation of meaning. It means that if anybody really wants to be a scholar in Islam, they have to learn the Arabic language. Otherwise, they're not a scholar. Simple as that. I don't care how much they know. If they don't have the Arabic language in the classical Arabic language, and they have not memorized the Quran cover to cover, we don't consider them a scholar. We consider them a knowledgeable person, a nice person, kind person, but not a scholar. This is important also when you consider a judge in Islam. If we have an Islamic state and we have a judge, before he can ever put on the robe, walk up there, and we don't really do that, but suppose he wants to come up and, and pass judgment, one of the first things he has to have is this classical Arabic language, the memorization of the Quran. In addition to that, memorized many, many books of traditions, oral traditions that have been handed down from Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, since 1400 years. He has to have this kind of memory or he's not allowed to even apply as a judge. Then he has to have his background in Islamic jurisprudence and they have to be a doctor in it. 
Why do you bother to go into that, Yusuf? Why do you want to tell us that? We came here for something else. No, I want to show you the integrity that's expected in Islam. That's why in Islam, when we hear certain things from others, and then they charge us with it, we have, we're, we're mortified. We can't believe that things that are being attributed to us, things that they see their own group do. I will mention, without saying what country, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, a particular country where I was visiting some, t some years back. And while I was over there, a leader of a particular religion, this is, the, I'm trying to be very generic, being politically correct, a leader of a particular religion had been exposed for having had sex with his congregation. Okay? Not one congregation at different points in time. He videotaped it and he was blackmailing the congregation members with this and it came out and the pictures were out all over the news and they were talking about this in public. As a result, the government, although a lot of Muslims live in that particular country, the government put that down and they scooped up all the newspapers and put the newspaper company out of business. Okay? Because they said, you know, we, we don't want anybody talking about any religions. Okay? When they went to the highest ranking leader of that particular faith and they asked him, how could such a thing happen? How could your leader of your group do such a thing? The answer didn't come back to describe what he did. By the way, the punishment was they just gave him a new parish. That's all. When they went to this one top leader and they asked him, you know what he said? He said, oh, well, everybody does it. He said, your, your imams probably do the same thing. For us, that's unbelievable. For us, it's totally unacceptable. If any of our leaders ever did such a thing as this, we would kill them. Okay? It's not negotiable. Because this is the scum of the earth, and an example has to be set. So if you wonder why Islamic law is so hard, because it's based on truth. On the other hand, now let's go into Islamic law, jurisprudence, or sharia. Sharia is very beautiful. Because it's in place to protect the innocent, not the guilty. We live in a society over here that work very hard. We work very hard to protect the guilty. You don't think I know what I'm talking about, but guess what? I spend a lot of time in prisons. I spend a lot of time in the federal, in the county, in the city, in the state, penal institutions... And I know these guys firsthand. And when they get on that witness stand, oh, and when you see them sitting in the court and you think, oh, poor baby. But when you hear them confess with their own mouth, a 15-year-old boy told me he had shot his friend right in the face with a gun. And he told me point blank. He said, I'd do it again. And you know why? Just because he insulted the guy's gang, like the Crips or the Bloods. He was in a group, and this boy said, your gang is, and he used a bad word. And he pulled a gun out and shot him right in the face and killed him. Kid he grew up with. And I looked at him, you know what? I couldn't help myself. I'm a bad boy. I looked him right in the face. I said, your gang is a, and then I said the word in his face. I said, this is nuts. How are you going to try to act like you're a Muslim and you do something like this? It's totally out of Islam. This is a way... Way at the other, spe uh, the other spectrum. We're not even talking about the same thing. 
if anybody can do something like this, it's not Islam. And I don't have any heart for the people who do this because guess what? Just what I said, they'll do it again and again and again. Rehabilitation is for people who have a conscience. Rehabilitation is for people who have a soul. Rehabilitation is for people who will repent. But if you've got people out there that they're just looking for the next opportunity, they'll do it again. And don't think just because people can look you in the eye and smile while they talk that that's a real good old boy. Down in Texas, when we talk about somebody, oh, he looks you in the eye though when he talks to you, all that means is he can do what? Lie with his eyes open. Because this is a serious subject. When you start talking about law for all of the human beings, if only one human is going to make the law up, what do you think he'll do? He'll make it in his own favor, right or wrong. Think about it. If somebody told you you could have the whole earth and everything in it right now and you make the laws, are you going to make any laws against yourself? I don't think so. I really doubt it. You will make laws that are compatible with what your thoughts or your background or your ideas are. So the Islamic law is in place to do what? Islamic law is in place to protect everybody and be fair at the same time. So that's why it puts such a value on truth. Some of the issues people ask me about are in adultery. They say, well, looks like Islam's pretty tough on adultery. Well, first of all, let's look at what adultery actually is, and then we'll talk about what Islam really does do. And we need to be honest. Right? Okay. What is adultery? In Islam, there's two types. One is something that, that people do before they're married. And this is one category. The other one is what people do after they're married. If they do it prior to being married, this is bad, and it can cause problems. One of the biggest problems it can cause right away, immediately, it can cause spread of diseases. Immediately. Down the line, it also causes birth of children who are not from parents that are supporting and loving and raising the child together. It's no family situation. Then you have problems of dependency on the society. Then you have these psychological things. Then you so and so and so. So this is one category and the punishment for it is what? It's not killing anybody. But if they do it in the open and they're caught right in front of everybody, then they'll be punished in front of everybody. But when things are not out in front of everybody, then this can be dealt with quietly in the home and take care of the parents. We'll talk to the other parents, try to work things out. Let's get this boy and this girl married to each other, and then that'll solve the problem. Okay? That's how the Islamic law deals with it. It's not here to try to go out and make things hard for people, but rather for those who have no discretion, who don't care, who would just go out in the front of God and everybody and do things, then these people need to be dealt with that way. Make sense? Think about it on the next level. Think about it on the next level. That if a person is married, and they, they go to somebody else, well, they're in a marriage relationship, what is the damage that this causes? A lot. A lot of damage. Because now... If, some, if another lady has a baby, then who is the father of this one? And that becomes confusing. And who is supposed to support who? And then you have a thing about trust. And what about the family? And so Islam is solving this problem real easy. Very easy. You have a wife? That's it. You don't fool around. You have a husband? That's it. You don't fool around. If people begin to break these laws to the extent that now, to be sure that you understand, I'm going to make it real clear on this point, and then I'm going to go to another topic. 
they have to be seen by four eyewitnesses in public okay four eyewitnesses at the same exact time in such a way that there's no doubt that what you're seeing can't be some sheet over them or some cover over them and I don't think I can't even imagine where you could see such a thing as that I can't imagine that but if that were the case then these people have committed something which now comes under the jurisdiction of law in Islam and they will bring them in and say what are you doing you know this doesn't work you don't do that and that's where punishment would come in but again go back to who is the one going to be the judge this has to be somebody who has a lot of compassion because you don't know what it is to study Islam and memorize Quran and stand in the night and cry and pray all the time. This is a person who's very uh, trying to be, at least in Islam, trying to be a good person. That's the judge, the same with the other people involved. So I think when you now try to bring this into the picture, when you look at how things are ruled, then you can say, mm, well, at least I can get a better idea. Because if you just take what some of the topics that you see in magazines and articles, what they will do is bring the side which sells magazines. Right? Well, guess what? I'm the same way. What did I do tonight? What do we call the program? Islam Exposed, on purpose. We use the title to get people to come. And likewise, people will do the same thing. The only difference is, I'm trying to bring it from a perspective of a Muslim telling you about Islam. But suppose, suppose that somebody had the same title for this program, and there were some organization that hate Islam and they wanted to talk about it they would bring the same topics I'm talking about but bring it from another angle and it would certainly look a lot different wouldn't it wouldn't it yeah of course and that's called perspective so let's go back to some of the words and then I'll begin the talk by the way we're not to the talk yet we're just oh sorry no <laughs> another one it's not necessarily a word but a person I want to talk about Muhammad peace be upon him this is a man who was an Arab he was from the tribe of Quraysh he lived over 1400 years ago his grandfather was the leader of the tribe his father died right before he was born his mother died when he was about four or six his uh, uncle began to raise him up and he was always considered a very good boy he was very honest and very trustworthy and he always tried to bring together the ties of kinship he didn't like to see the family split apart and he was always trying to get people to come together like okay no don't be mad at them for this and don't be mad at him for that come on let's get together he was a counselor if you will now, he was called by his friends a sadiq, which can be translated to English as the very essence of truth or spirit of truth. He was also called by his friends and companions al-alimi, which means the one who holds the trust from the word. Uh, uh, my mind slipped. I'm glad I know how to edit this program. <laughs> The, when you have a trust or uh, a mana, a mana, that it, he has this name of one who is very trustworthy. If you give him any trust, he'll hold it. When he was about 40 years old, he used to go away from his tribe because they were pretty rough. Not very nice people, you know what I'm saying? 
and they would do a lot of bad things. They drank, they did a lot of things. I don't have to tell you everything. But he would go and pray and fast. One time when he was in a cave, the angel Gabriel came to him. Same angel that we read about before, only it's pronounced Jibril in the Arabic language, came to him and told him directly an order, Ekora, which means recite. He responded, La Anabikari. I'm not of those who recite. Again, the angel commanded him, Ekora, recite for me. He said, Anaumi, I'm illiterate. I don't know how to read nor write. And then again, the angel said to him, more or less the translation to the English language. The reason, by the way, I had to set it up because this is actually from Quran. So I had to say, before I read it, then it starts, recite in the name of your Lord who created the human beings from a clot of blood. A leech-like clot of blood, an alaq. Recite, and your Lord is most generous, who taught man how to use the pen and taught man what he didn't know. The key that I want to focus on here is, this is the very beginning of the Quran, and it's when it was revealed. It was the first part revealed. And when it came, it had an amazing statement in it. Alaq. Alaq means three things in Arabic language. It means a leech. You know, the little creature that gets on you when you go swimming in the Amazon River. Sucks your blood out. A leech. And it also means a clot of blood. And it also means anything which clings, like a refrigerator magnet hanging. Okay? Dr. Keith Moore, one of the top embryologists in Canada, probably one of the top maybe in the world, heard about this in the Quran and began to study this and compare it to what they had learned in the last couple decades in embryology. He said there's no possible way that somebody could accidentally come up with this explanation for how a human being is formed in the womb of the mother because nobody could have seen it. It's microscopic. You can't see that. But in fact, that's exactly what happens. That when the egg is fertilized, the zygote, which is also mentioned in Quran, and it clings or hangs to the wall of the uterus. It's shaped exactly like a leech. It clings, and it is a clot of blood. All three of those things exactly from the Arabic language mean what they had discovered only in the last few years under the microscope. Additionally, there are a number of other references in the Quran to the development of the human being, including the trimesters which is something we didn't even know 100 years ago. Yet now it's coming clear that what was revealed 1,400 years ago is something amazing. Some people have told us, well, maybe Muhammad just found that written in a cave somewhere. Well, if he did, he found a good copy. Right? Then it would be amazing that he would be so honest on everything else and then all of a sudden lie about finding this great copy of something that's ancient. That would be amazing. Additionally, there are some of the other points in there that I don't want to say the Quran is a scientific miracle. This is not the approach that we use. But certainly there are things, everything from the development of the human being to the earth itself, how the plates on the European continent reach down with long finger-like things called autad or tent pegs in Arabic language. Something that nobody knew until the last century. 
Additionally, mentioning about the seas that don't mix, which was discovered in the 1970s, there's two seas coming together at the Gibraltar, if you know what that is, and they come together, but they never do actually mix together. The, the, uh, what's his name? Jacques Cousteau was going to do a program about that at one time. I don't know if he ever did it. But this is an amazing thing mentioned in the Quran. Additionally, well, I'm going to go to the end of my little thing because I, I want to cover so much and I don't have time to talk about the Quran, really. But just to mention that, how about space travel? It says in the Quran in Surah 55, verse 33. It's easy to remember, right? 5533. But check it out. We have them over there. It's a gift. You can take it and look at it. I'm going to write it down now so you'll know. 5533. Go look at it. And it says, O you assembly of men and jinn, try to transgress out of the earth's atmosphere. And you'll never get out of the earth's atmosphere. It'll be sultan. I'll give you the Arabic now. Because it's so sweet. The Arabic language is so powerful. That those two words, illa be sultan. Actually, it's three words. Illa be sultan. Except with a very huge might and authority and power. You know the sultan, the word sultan in English, like king or something like this, comes from sultan, meaning the one in authority or great power. And when I read it, I didn't get the meaning of it. Because the first time I went to the Quran, I didn't, you know, wasn't really expecting this is something from God. Until I went back and read it again another time, and then I was on a website for NASA. And I saw one of the pictures that they have at Cape Canaveral at liftoff, and the huge billowing smoke coming out of the bottom of that rocket ship as it's taking off. And I snapped, you know, oh my God. Because when I buy fuel for my car, I buy it by the gallon, you know what I mean? And the prices now, it's getting to the point, I'm thinking about buying it by the eyedropper. But and when they buy the fuel for the, for the spaceships, they measure it by the ton. So definitely that's a lot of power that it takes to get that rocket ship to go through the Earth's atmosphere. And again, you could say, oh, well, it was a lucky guess. Well, maybe it was. But let's look at the rest of what the Quran is telling us. The Quran starts out with something amazing. The very first words are, well, at first there's a prayer, a seven-verse prayer. But after that, there's no introduction whatsoever. It doesn't tell you, uh, like in some books, the humans, when they write books, they'll say, once upon a time, or it all started like this, or in the beginning, but it doesn't start like that. The Quran starts with these words, Zaliko kitabu la rebafi. This is the book wherein there is no doubt. That's an amazing thing to say. That means you're challenging people from the beginning. The Quran offers the following challenges. This is a book without any doubt. Okay, right away you can say, well, <laughs> let's go through it and find some doubt. In the Quran, Allah says, Have they not considered if it was from other than Allah, it would have many contradictions? In another chapter, he says, if you're in doubt about it, bring a book like it. And in another chapter, he says, bring ten chapters. And in another one, he said, just bring one. Just bring one. And to date, hadn't happened. Let me explain when we say bring something like it. The smallest surah in the Quran is so short that we can teach it to many of the children here tonight. The first thing I'm going to say is not in the Quran. I seek refuge with Allah from the condemned devil. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah, most gracious, most merciful. 
That's it. That's it. That's all there is. You say, well, wait a minute. It ought to be easy to bring that. 1,400 years, nobody did it yet. Because if you're able to match the sound and the quality of the poetry, you won't be able to match the meaning. If you get the meaning, you won't be able to put it in the poetry. You won't be able to put it in such tight words. That's very compressed, the meaning of this. Okay? Additionally, the ability to memorize it. The entire Quran is today memorized by over 1.5 billion people on the earth working to memorize all of it. Nine million uh, have already succeeded in that task. 1.5 billion humans on this earth are in the process of trying to memorize the whole Quran. How, do we have any in this room that would like to memorize the whole Quran? Raise your hand. You guys are shy or what? You don't memorize? You don't want to memorize the Quran? Okay. First time I saw any Muslims say they didn't want to memorize the Quran. Amazing. Okay. Tonight's the first for me. What I'm saying is that I don't think you understood the question. Are there any Muslims in here that want to memorize the whole Quran? Okay. There. Now you got his hand up. It's a little slow. Nine million people on earth have memorized the whole Quran right now. Okay? From Indonesia, where most of the Muslims live, by the way, they're not Arabs. They have memorized the exact same thing that you just heard here tonight. And if you go to Texas, Saudi Arabia, Mexico, Sweden, Pakistan, Turkey, Egypt, I'm naming countries where I've been and sat with people and listened to recite the entire Quran. It's always exactly the same word for word, letter for letter. The point here, if you think I'm trying to talk you into something, I'm not. Get that out of your mind. What I'm trying to show you is something very important. Muslims take their religion very seriously. Think about it yourself. When we have all, we know, okay, there's no sense. I'm not asking for a show of hands. We know that there are jokes that people talk about Christmas. Jokes that people talk about Easter. Jokes that people talk about the priests. Jokes that they tell about Jesus. Jokes people tell about God. Jokes all the time joking about religion. But in Islam, we don't joke. We don't joke about Allah. We just don't do that. We don't joke about the Quran. We don't joke about Muhammad sallallahu peace be upon him. And we don't joke about what Islam is all about. We just don't do that. In fact, to show you how serious it is, a Muslim in India about 12 years ago by the name of Salman Rushdie wrote a book making fun of Islam. That's all it was. Immediately, Muslims everywhere were ready to do this guy in. He had to run and hide. Of course, that helped him sell a lot of books. I don't know what he did with the money while he was hiding. Probably changed his name to Frank or something else. But in any case, that book became so much in demand, they had to reprint it. Has anybody here read it beside me? It's a worthless piece of trash. Didn't have any meaning to it. It was nothing. Any high school student could write a better book than that. It was nothing. But the fact that somebody making fun of Islam, the Muslims went out to see, what did this man say? And I think they probably made him more rich than anybody else. 
point is that Muslims take Islam very serious and so that because we are working closer and closer together Muslims and non-Muslims in relationship it would be smart for us to realize how serious Muslims consider their religion and when we talk about interfaith and dialoguing and tolerance and all the rest of it you may not realize it but for the Muslims they've been doing that right along for the Muslims they've been doing it right along there are a lot of things that we in the West expect we expect people to take from us the joking the kidding the insulting the uh, mixing men and women close together and just oh it's just a friendly hug and all that this is way out of Islam but Muslims I've found over here are trying their best to make it so that they can cooperate and get along so I would just like to bring that side of it I, that, now guess what make you feel better I really am through with the speech now and uh, they're going to start bringing in some food in a few minutes but in this time period right here I would like for you to just do one thing just begin to reflect a little bit on some of the things I said tonight I don't expect you to take everything I said to the bank and try to write a, cash, uh, write a check on it cash it tomorrow what I do expect though is to at least look at it from another perspective then examine the materials that are being presented here and take it's free and take it and read it and think about it and then those if you don't believe in God that's fine but if you do believe in God then just pray and just ask God simple this just simply God guide me to the truth and then he will do that if there's a God that's his job not mine anyway my job is just to lay it out and tell you how it is so we talked about what's Islam we talked about who are the Muslims we talked about the Quran and we talked about Muhammad, peace be upon him. We talked about the condition of the Muslims. So now it's your turn, and I'm going to expect that you've written some questions, and I hope that you'll pass them up to the end, and the gentleman over in the end will bring them up. And then after our break, we're going to have some food and fun. And after that, we'll come back and try to deal with some of your questions. And I hope, in, inshallah, which means God willing, that I'll do uh, at least a decent... <laughs> representation of giving you the correct answer now I would like to give you some references all of the things that I said tonight uh, are actually published okay and I will tell you how to find it first of all on the internet you can go to uh, the website www.islamtoday.com and while you're on the website you can visit a lot of the pages there we talk about such subjects as the Quran and Muhammad peace be upon him about what's Islam, where it comes from. Then we talk about the people who have left other religions to go to Islam and what their stories are. We also talk about the leaders of other religions who have given up the frock, so to speak, turned in their collar, so to speak, to become Muslims and what their stories and what they encountered. That's under something called Priests and Preachers Come to Islam. Additionally, we have a place called Email. And that's where you can really do it. Whatever we missed tonight, you haven't lost anything. You can send it in an email or have somebody email for you. Just get your question to us and then we'll do our best to get it back to you. Likewise, if we run out of material tonight, you can request it be sent to you or some of your loved ones that you would like to know about, have them know about what we talked about. Just request a Quran or information on different topics and then we'll be happy to send it to them. We'll pay the postage and everything through the same place islamtoday.com and then you'll find where it says email 
that pretty much wraps up what we had to talk about tonight, exposing Islam. I hope in so doing I didn't hurt anybody's feelings. I hope I didn't step on anybody's toes. But uh, where I'm from, we have a saying, and it works real good with Islam, is tell it like it is. And that's how it is. And I hope that, uh, inshallah, God willing, that I have a chance to be with all of you again, and you'll stick around for the food and the questions. And alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, hu aladhi jalana muslimin, wa salatu salam rasulullah kareem, wa ala alihi wa sabi ajma'in. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.